Okay. Okay. Guess where we are. Where, Paige? <laughs> where are we? Welcome to Peggy's Recovery Corner. I'm here today with my dear, 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 dear friend, Jordy. In some circles, Jordan, but Jordy. Yeah. Um, it's so good to have you on today. Thank you for having me here today. It's truly, like you're one of my best friends, and and you. I don't know if you know that or not, but um, I I love and adore you. It's so good to have you. I've wanted you on the, on the podcast for a while now. Um, it finally worked out to where hasn't you hasn't happened. Where, where you've been off work and yeah, or where I forget or don't don't forget to schedule. But um, so what's going on with you? First of all, uh, welcome to the corner. I wanted to learn about you, learn about where you were born, raised how it all went down. Um, and then, you know, we'll get into other stuff after that, but go ahead and talk about yourself. Okay. Well, <clears throat> as Pesh said, I'm Jordy, um, <clears throat> alcoholic. Uh, I was born in Ventura County. Um, uh, and then I kind of was raised in the San Fernando Valley. So, um, my parents didn't want me going to school in the San Fernando Valley for whatever reasons they had. And uh, so we would travel every morning to Ventura County, and I would go to school um, down there. Uh, I went to Westlake High. All the way from the valley to, oh, well, Westlake's not that far. Yeah, it was every morning. We would get up super early, and my parents would drive us down there, mm -hmm. and we would kind of commute back and forth. It was I didn't like, know you went to Westlake High. Yeah. Cool. I, I was there for a while, and um, yeah, so that's that. Okay. So childhood, <laughs> any brothers or sisters that you were growing um, up with? Yeah, I had um, four brothers. Uh, I have an older one and I'm the second oldest. Mm -hmm. And then I have two younger ones. Um, I believe they're 18 and 15. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, what was what was it growing up in the valley like? Like, did you like where you grew up? Um, honestly, it was a little different. Um, especially compared to Ventura County. Mm -hmm. um, the valley can be kind of clustered and um, a bit overwhelming. Like um, how? Well, you know, just like you got the Cholos there mm -hmm. and it's just like not the safest environment or at least that's what my parents thought. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that they didn't want us to grow up um, and become- that. Like hard gangsters? Yeah. Because um, a couple of my cousins from my dad's sides were in gangs and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that... You're Mexican? Yes. 100%? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I think that that's what my parents were scared of. Okay. Uh, and then, um, so, in school, like, when did you... Are you primarily an alcoholic? Because you, you said alcoholic at the beginning. Yes. Primarily, alcohol was my thing that I would... I love to drink. Um, of course, it started off as a fun thing to mm -hmm. do on the weekends. Mm -hmm. And um, then it just got out of hand. I mean, the first time I started to drink, it was fun. Um, I had fun. I, I grew up pretty, like, I don't know. I was just like always shy. I was always shy and I always felt like I didn't fit in. Um, so I was always quiet. And when I started to drink like that wall, uh, or those insecurities that I had kind of went away and I was able to kind of be myself, so to say. Um, was there alcohol in the house or how were you getting alcohol? 
well, I didn't really start drinking until I was around 18. And even then I would hang out with like older people, older coworkers, and we would um, go to parties like every weekend. So alcohol was just there. And what, what was your job during that time that they were coworkers? Um, I was working with uh, <laughs> disabled adults. Okay, so you've been doing that for a long time. Yes, I've been in, in this type of work. Um, I've worked with disabled adults. I've worked with disabled children. Um, and I've also worked with uh, elderly with dementia and Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And I'm currently working at assisted living, helping um, seniors. So back then, like what even got you into working with disabled adults and children and such? Well, um, at the time, my dad had a girlfriend and she was working with disabled adults. Okay, so you and, just took an interest in like yeah, helping? And I mean, because I had nothing to do. Um, she asked if I wanted to come and volunteer with mm -hmm, her. Mm -hmm. And I did. And I was there for a couple of months, just like um, volunteering and helping. And uh, it was pretty fun. I got to kind of like, ex I kind of got to experience I don't want to say the mindset of a disabled person, but I guess I got to know them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I realized that they're pretty much just like us. Right. Um, they just process things a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> the longer I volunteered, eventually um, I, I knew how to do the job. And uh, they offered me a job uh, once I turned 18. Okay. And then from there, it, it was just, I went up. But drinking started at a very, very young age? No, drinking started around 18, 18, 18, 18. Okay. So then, <clears throat> yeah. Cause growing up, my dad was so, so strict. Um, kind of, we were like the cookie cut family. Like we couldn't do anything that wasn't in his eyes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, or we would get in trouble. And, uh, so I stayed away from like the dr drinking and the drugs and the partying. Mm -hmm. But once I was 18 and I didn't really have that control anymore right. from him, I just started to kind of do what I wanted to do. Mm. So as life went on, mm -hmm. did, uh, how old are you now? I'm 27. Okay. And you're a year and a half sober. Yes. I've seen you mm -hmm. for a few years. I think I first would see you, um, down in orange County at, uh, certain places where people meet up to go practice the recovery. Let's mm -hmm. for better sake of words. And um, back then I used to see you and you were very quiet. Oh, yeah. You were to yourself. Um, you didn't say much to hardly anybody. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. I would sit in the back of the meetings. Um, mm -hmm. That was like my favorite place to go. Right. I'd have my headphones on because I didn't want anyone talking to me. Mm -hmm. And um, I was just super like scared of everybody, scared of what people would think of me, scared of um, what they would say. And, um, it, when I first got into recovery, like I didn't really know what to expect. Mm -hmm. So that, that alone, like had me in fear. Mm -hmm. mm. Well, when you say that you were in fear, fear of what, like, what, okay. So did you grow up a fearful, like youth, like in your youth, were you a fearful individual? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, um, like I kind of mentioned before my dad, he was, uh, super strict. Mm -hmm. Um, he, he was abusive mentally, physically, and verbally. Okay. So I was scared pretty much of doing anything wrong. And, um, so yeah. Okay. And then, um, 
besides the trauma within the house, was there trauma growing up too that you can remember? Um, of course. Uh, I remember at um, a very young age, my oldest brother started to molest me. Mm -hmm. um, I think I was around 10 at the time. And uh, I didn't say anything because I would get threatened by him. Mm -hmm. And um, that lasted a while until like I was kind of old enough to like be like, like I knew what was going on already and I knew that it wasn't right. Is your oldest brother still in your life? No, no. Okay. Um, do you want to talk about it? Like where, what happened to him? Is he, is he oh, I don't mind talking about gone? it. Um, honestly, I don't really know what happened to mm -hmm. him because um, I was all, I was also kicked out of my house when I was 16. Okay. And uh, after that, <clears throat> my mom and her side of the family kind of stopped talking to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I moved to the San Fernando Valley permanently with my dad. So I don't really know um, anything. This is your blood brother? Yeah. Okay. You just don't know where he is. Yeah, I don't know anything. Um, I don't know where he is. I do know that um, maybe a couple months back, I had the Ventura County uh, Police Department call me in regards to my brother mm. um, and him speaking up about what ha he had done to me growing up. Wow. And um, and did they were they coming to talk to you because something else had happened or was there a report um, filed or something? They weren't able to say over the phone, mm -hmm. but um, they offered me the opportunity to go and uh, speak with them. And uh, I chose not to mm -hmm. just because like that chapter of my life I've already worked on mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I did, didn't really feel like opening it up and having to go through all that again. Okay, yeah. that's fair. So do you think that throughout your life when you would drink, um, because of the some of the trauma that you had endured, however much that was, that you were numbing out just so that you wouldn't feel, or did you like just drinking? No, I mean, I, I definitely would say that I was numbing out. Mm -hmm. I mean, I went from like having a big family. I had um, a few uncles and a few aunts, and we would all gather together and like celebrate the holidays. and. Mm -hmm whatnot and did you have fun in those celebrations yeah i had fun and my uncles at the time they didn't have any kids so they would take me and my brothers out to like the fair or like mm -hmm. amusement parks so it, it was super fun um so i went from that to like not having it mm -hmm. kind of just like it kind of made me feel some type of way like i felt sad mm -hmm. and i felt abandoned and i felt hurt and um i guess like at the beginning, the drinking was fun, mm -hmm. but then I realized that I, I could numb myself. I mm -hmm. didn't have to feel any of those feelings. I didn't have to feel like the abandonment that I felt. I didn't have to feel like the guilt and the shame and mm -hmm. like people not wanting me by people. I mean, my family. Mm. Um, yeah. So, okay. So down the line, like into your twenties, when, when did drinking become a problem for you? I think it became a problem once I didn't want to feel anything at all. Which was like in what your early twenties? I know I know the first time I met you, if you're twenty-six now, I think I probably met you when you were twenty-three. Around there, yeah. Right around there. So I'd say like maybe twenty-one, twenty-one, twenty. It started to become a problem. Yeah, twenty-one. I think. How did it become a problem? Um, well, I 
went from drinking on the weekends to drinking he every other day to drinking every day to drinking 24 7. Mm. um i would drink at work on the dl what were you drinking vodka straight straight my I god got to, i got to the point where i could just drink it like water and it wouldn't like burn my throat or anything um but yeah i would drink to blackout at work no i mean not at work but just but in like on if purpose I wasn't on, yeah on purpose if i wasn't at if i wasn't at work uh-huh. i would drink to blackout okay because you just didn't want to feel yeah i was just tired of everything mm-hmm. um i didn't want to i want i didn't want to kill myself but i didn't want to live any suicide attempts um a few yeah uh any cutting yes a lot what how old were you when you first started cutting um i'd say i was around 16 when i first started how did you discover cutting was it by accident did someone tell you did you just think if i cut myself i won't have to feel this other shit i'm feeling i think uh i discovered it by someone else Mm -hmm. i don't think that i just like came like it came to mind, let me just cut myself and see how it feels. The reason I ask is I, I never had experience with cutting until I got sober and I was working mm. in the field. And um, yesterday I had a girl on that was uh, that was talking about BPD, borderline personality disorder. She talked about cutting and I was like, how did you come up with that? Like, mm. but I guess, you know, did somebody like somebody tell you um, that, I mean, obviously you can't really remember, can you? No, no. You just, the idea came from someplace yeah. and then you just knew. And then I started to, and then, um once i started that it kind of just gave me like this feeling like a sense of rush and um i don't know how to describe it i just wanted to continue to do it Uh usually cutters don't cut themselves in a sense to where they're going to cut their veins Mm because they're going to um you know it's a suicide attempt it's just so that it's to to alleviate some kind of pain and to be able not feel certain Mm -hmm. things correct Mm -hmm. yeah so from cutting then alcoholism kind of took its form and all that. You yeah. said 16 was when you were cutting and 18 is when you started drinking. Yeah. And then by 21, it was it becoming was, a problem. It was becoming a problem. So how did you address the problem? How, like, did you, did something happen? Was there any kind of crisis? Um, no. I mean, I guess yes, but it, it was just getting bad. Like, um, So did you have a nervous breakdown or something? <laughs> no. Uh, maybe. Were you a drama queen? I mean, I mean, who isn't a drama queen? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, I could be a kind of a diva myself. You you know this about me. <laughs> I do. But um, no, it just started to get bad. Like I, one time I was with friends in mm-hmm. West Hollywood and um, I blacked out okay. and I woke up on some stairs and I thought I was down like a couple streets from my friend's house. So I started walking. Mm-hmm. Mind you, I didn't have my phone and or my wallet. So mm-hmm. I figured somebody stole it. And I started walking around and then I started to see all bars in WeHo. And I was like, what the, what the heck? Yeah, like, you can cuss. I'm, I'm yeah, still, we, we, WeHo's party town. Yeah. I'm like they don't fuck around Hollywood, And I was like, that was my first time blacking yeah. out. And like. Your like, first time blacking out? I thought you were blacking out before. No, like in like public. Oh, in public like, with, amongst friends. Yeah, and then were you those, going to the Abbey? No, we went to Mickey's. Oh, I, I know Mickey's. Mickey's. I mean, how do how do I know Mickey's? Right? <laughs> no, I know Mickey's. Um, yeah, Mickey's was the happening spot. Yeah, and it was fun back yeah. in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, that was my first time blacking out in public. And then it just started to happen. Like I'd wake up outside the bars. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would wake up in people's houses that I didn't know who mm-hmm. they were. Um, so you were pretty much blacking out and wait, like we say in a lot of recovery circles, the classic thing is waking up in strange places around strange people, not knowing how the fuck I got here. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yes. And um, I think towards the end, like I would not be able to even make it into my apartment. There was this one time, like I passed out right in front of the gate, like trying to get in and my dad found me because he had to be up the next morning for work. And it was just like super embarrassing. And um, from there, there was like times where I'd wet my own bed. Mm-hmm. Um, there was times where I'd wake up in the kitchen on the floor, like in puddles of my own urine. And so if your dad was strict and he was finding you like that, was he like going off on you or was he kind of becoming more compassionate to the fact that that uh, that you're not doing well? I think he maybe a mixture of both because my dad was strict. And I, I think that because um, him and my mom separated mm-hmm. and um I think that that kind of did something to him because mm-hmm. when me and him reconnected, he kind of wasn't the same person anymore. Mm. And he was a lot more compassionate and understanding. Mm. And um, isn't it, isn't that like, I, I very much relate to you in that sense because I had a very stern and strict father that used to, he was physical. He was, he was verbal. He was, uh, there was a lot of punishment, you know, sometimes it was with hands and objects and things, but, um, isn't it a trip to see like when when our fathers actually uh, have have kind of simmered it down and changed their their uh, flying off the handle type of behaviors and like they they see us for who they are as their kids and they want to you know try to help us because my dad really calmed down over the years yeah like he really calmed down it's a beautiful thing it is right like um, I honestly resented my dad and I wanted nothing to do with him. Um, but you ended up still living at his house all yeah, the time. Yeah, once I, when I was kicked out, he ended up taking me in, and it was super awkward at first. But well, when you say kicked out, where, who kicked you out? My mom kicked me out of um, her house. Okay. When, when I was sixteen. Okay. And um, yeah, so once my dad took me in, uh, it was awkward at first, but like little by little, we started kind of like developing a relationship that we didn't have mm-hmm. um, growing up, and to this day, like me and my dad are super close um he's like my number one supporter and he accepts me for like who i am mm-hmm. um and i knew that the the drinking and him like having to like go through that and like mm-hmm. seeing me like passed out mm-hmm. um like passed out in the bathroom floor i think it did a lot to him and i think at that point um i it's, knew it's probably scared the shit out of him yeah and at that point, like, I knew that obviously, like, this wasn't normal and I had to do something about it. Gotcha. Well, now now I want to ask you a few more things now. So I met you. Mm-hmm. I'd see you in the rooms. You looked like a young man that was sitting in the corner, right? I didn't know who you were. We never, you were very nice and friendly. Like you said, highs and bys. That's mm-hmm. about it. That's as far as I went. You were kind of silent, kind of mute, right? Then I believe that you were staying sober. You had gone to treatment. Mm-hmm. I think that's why I would see you is because you were gone to treatment and down in Orange County. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and I think you put some time together. I think you had actually gotten sober and you were working down in Orange County and like staying in a sober living, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, I was I was um, staying at 
Jordan's sort of yes. thing. Then I got a call saying that you're not doing well and you were struggling. And I guess you had gone to Encino or like back up to LA. Mm -hmm. And um, you had been drinking. Yeah. You weren't in like taking recovery seriously. So you had been drinking. I helped you during that time. I don't know if you know that or not, but like I helped you get back into treatment. And you did go to treatment and, and actually you were there for a long time. It was a really good center too. Yes. And I think you put a lot of time together, but then, uh, here was the weird thing during the time that you were there. Suddenly I start hearing people refer to, they're saying your name, but they keep saying, uh, her, she, her, she. And I'm like, who are we talking about here? Mm -hmm. I'm like, uh, Jordy, like Jordan, like, what do you mean her or she? Well, she would, she goes, she, she identifies as a female. I'm like, okay, fair. I didn't even know that. Cause when I was talking to you, like I didn't yeah. know that. Right. So, so it was news to my ears, but then I would see you and I thought, okay, like I get it. Like a lot of people say trans mm -hmm. or transgender or in transition and, and all that. So I didn't know, but then after a while, like it took me a little while to have to actually, uh, get acclimated to referring to you as she yeah right now obviously non-binary is something that uh it's a term where usually they are referred to as they or their right mm -hmm. so you and then and we talked about this a lot too as far as um being androgynous mm -hmm. i mean you know i love prince and prince has always been referred to as an, an androgynous yes. individual He's a man that can wear heels and put on eyeliner and steal your woman. I mean, he's, I've, I've loved that about him all throughout my life. I don't know why I did because mm -hmm. where I was raised in Salt Lake city, Utah, like that type of stuff would have been referred to as like, that's gay and this and that. Right. So, but, but for some reason, like just, I, I learned to love like Prince being able to identify with both his, male and female side like because he was inside with his feminine side and his, and his masculine side mm -hmm. and he, he just had that ability so in getting to know you over the years and seeing um you like you know you're one of my dearest friends and it, it's so cool to see the many styles you have yeah like I, I can't dress i can't i've done the little face filter shits like on on I'm not a pretty woman. Like, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't make a pretty woman. When I see some of your pictures and stuff, I'm like, yeah. Like, she she wears that shit well. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, so the, the hairstyles and all that stuff, that, that I love it. I absolutely love it. I'm fascinated by your style. What made you decide to start identifying as she? Or do you still? I still identify as she. Um, I prefer it. It's what makes me uh, more comfortable. Mm -hmm. Um I think growing up, I always knew that I was I was different. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't until I did I, I was in theater actually, and uh, they let me play with makeup, and I was like, "This is pretty cool." Uh -huh. And uh, since then, I started to kind of like uh, mess around and play with makeup. Mm -hmm. and you do really good with makeup, not just on yourself, with others too. Thank you. <laughs> um but yeah and then i kind of just started to like get i was really influenced by like a lot of the social media and like um jeffrey star and patrick star and like all the makeup artists and like seeing them and 
seeing them being able to be themselves kind of had like a big influence on me mm-hmm. and um it kind of just like built or not built it helped shape me and mold me into the person that i am today mm-hmm. um i like to wear acrylic nails right um i like i like to change my hairstyles a lot hair color and you have really good hair <laughs> so you. you have the ability to like change your hair like every other day if you want to do yeah i haven't been able to do anything with my hair in about two and a half decades i mean i could on the sides maybe maybe one of these days i could grow out the sides of my hair we could bleach it blonde and then like do some green tints. Let's do it. i'm sure you would like to <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah and um i'd like to refer to myself as a chameleon okay i think that that defines me mm-hmm. um i change everything about you me. do nothing is always the same right i love that so um a couple of things like do you feel like people look at you weird different are they judging you i mean there was that fear that when you said in the beginning when you were coming to the recovery rooms you would sit in the back of the room but like or do you not even give a shit? Um, <clears throat> I mean, obviously that fear uh, was there at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like, like um, I had mentioned, uh, I was scared and I sat in the back of the room. Mm-hmm. But um, I think with uh, working the program and my fellowship and like surrounding myself with people that genuinely care about me, mm-hmm. it kind of gave me the confidence to be myself. Mm-hmm. And today, like I obviously don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, about what anybody has to say right um, you don't have an identity crisis no 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 um sometimes like i have this like little mini cute handbag that's like so extra that i walk around with right uh, i just like to be extra i guess mm-hmm. but be me be you've never gotten beaten up for your preference or how you present yourself correct bullied beaten no no good you lucked out I lucked out there because there are people that that happens that happens too. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> so when I did get you into treatment that one time afterwards, you were there for a, a, a long time. Well, yeah, I was only supposed to be there for detox. Right. For some reason, you ended up there for like over a year. Well, I, I was encouraged by my house managers to at least do thirty days of treatment. And I didn't want to do it. And I was mm-hmm. crying on the phone. I was like, no, I want to go back home, blah, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. Um, but the more I stayed at that treatment center, mm-hmm. um, the more I ended up liking it. Yeah. Like the people, it's a good, a good place. Yeah. The staff was super welcoming and super um, supporting mm-hmm. and caring. Right. And uh, that's what made me want to stay. You stayed for so long, you became like one of the main family members of that whole center because it was such a familial feel mm-hmm. and you were so loved. And I remember just, I was working there at the time. Yeah. So I'd often, oh, whoops. I would often walk into uh, the grounds and see you sitting with, you know, your friends. There were certain friends that you had. And, and from, it was my understanding, like you almost, did you get it full year or almost a year? Um, I think I had a year there. Okay. Yeah. And then some shit happened. And I remember that you started hanging out with somebody that you, sh- that you later regretted. Um, this person introduced you to more than alcohol mm-hmm. and you went off the Richter. Yeah. Like it got so bad that you ended up from what I remember becoming not homeless, but homeless. Yeah. Like you were basically staying, uh, at work in some room. Yeah. I ended up um, just going on a crazy, crazy ride. How long was that for? I think it was for a week. Okay. Um, a week. And then 
um, my treatment center that I was at because I left that treatment center to go hang out with that person. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were like, yeah, you can't come back. Right. Um, and I was like, okay, then I'm just going to keep drinking. Like, what else am I going to do? I'm right. going to cry over it. And um, yeah, then I just went downhill from there. Um, so, but then after, how long were you out for then? Just a week? I'd say around a week, maybe okay. a little. But then you came back, and then that's when we kind of got in each other's lives again. Yeah, I, I was um, living at my work in their break room. In their break room, and they yeah. didn't mind that? They didn't mind it. They, they were super um, supporting um, of recovery. Nice. Um, they knew that you were obviously in recovery before and that you were trying to get back in. Yeah. So why did you take it so serious when you came back? Um, I think it wasn't until like I lost what I had, like I, I couldn't go back to the treatment center. You'd um, lost everything. Yeah. I, I lost my place to stay. Um, I lost myself in, in process and, um, I just didn't, it was just, it's just this feeling that it's hard to describe. Mm -hmm. Like, like I almost felt. No, I felt broken. Mm -hmm. I felt defeated and I felt broken. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a feeling that I never want to feel ever again. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was like the lowest that I've ever been or have gotten. Look, Camille just said, I love you. She was part of you. She was. She was, she was one of the ones that pushed you in the direction of getting she better. Was. She was super Melissa sweet. said, Melissa Simon said, hey, Jordi, I remember seeing you around. We were at the same treatment. Oh. Sina. Cena, <laughs> <laughs> and of course Buzz. I love Jordy's honesty. Okay, so you you came back around us. We were we put you in a position where you were able to get a job closer to a house that you were staying at, and you took this shit by the horns. Mm -hmm. I mean, I watched it. It was fucking awesome, like remarkable to be able to see you, who had struggled for so many years throughout your twenties, um, finally come back and just get really serious with this. And there was a time when you were really afraid to, to speak up and to say things. I, now that I hear about your dad being strict and stern, I wonder to myself, like, I wonder if I reminded him of his dad because of the setting that we were in. <laughs> I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> but uh, the cool thing was after a while, you. What, what I noticed with you is that you got, you like, you suddenly got a voice and you would speak up for yourself. And if something didn't seem right, that like wasn't jiving with the way you were doing recovery, you'd say something. Whether you said it to me or you'd say it to others, you would say it. Like you, there was a point where where Jordy wasn't going to put up with any bullshit, and I really love that. Um, you started doing the work, you know. You started doing whatever work it took in the recovery world. You also therapy, correct? Yes, therapy. Still doing therapy. Mm -hmm. Between therapy, between a spiritual way of life. You, you've been moving mountains. I mean, this is amazing. Um, and then the job that you got, I remember that you and I got to experience COVID together when it really hit hard. And obviously working in a senior center with people that are very old and fragile, um, that was difficult. It was. Now, something I often wondered was, I'd, often, I'd see you in your scrubs getting ready to go to work, right? This is like a daily thing, right? And you were, um, I can't remember or not, I think I asked you one time, but like, when you're working with like these old folk, are you when you when you're there at work? Like, are you allowed to have that color hair? Um, 
it's not um, permitted in the regulations mm -hmm. or the whatever rules. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, honestly, nobody says anything to me. Um, if anything, the elderly encourage me. They're always like picking a hair color for me to have. I love that. I <laughs> fucking love that. So wait, is there ever, obviously you get a, a mixed bag or a mixed bunch of people that you're working with. Is there ever any of like the old ones that just look at you and they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what's going yeah. on? No, they all love it. Mm -hmm. okay. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going to say all of them love them, but I don't have any any negative. Do you um, wear makeup at work? Sometimes, most of the time, I don't. Mm -hmm. Do you um, wear the earrings or anything mm -hmm. like that? I wear the earrings, the the hair, the nails, mm -hmm. the um, nails even. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure like they're not accustomed to it. Yeah, but they're so um, loving and so open um, that they're willing to accept me for who I am. I love that. And I think that that is why I love doing what I do because there's no judgment. Mm -hmm. I can be myself and I can help others. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's what I enjoy doing the most is being there for other people. So during the time of COVID, obviously uh, it was a very sensitive time. You were working amongst older people. I think you had gotten COVID too, right? I had gotten COVID too. Um, and then, you had a quarantine, but didn't some people pass away that were there? Yeah, a couple of the people that I took care of passed uh -huh. away um, during COVID. During the COVID, does outbreak. it? Do you get so close to them that it hurts your heart when they pass away, or do you just expect it and it kind of be like you're desensitized and you're used to it? Because um, these people are in their last dying days when they're usually there anyway, right? Most of them are. Yeah, it's some, hospice. Yeah. No, I mean, some of them are on hospice, but most of the time they're just assisted living. Uh -huh. And sometimes they're fine. Like nothing's really wrong with them. They just need like a little assistance here and there. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, with them getting older, sometimes they develop different things and um, require hospice and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So obviously um, they end up going. But um I try not to really attach myself to them mm -hmm. um, just because like, I already know what's you're already a, a ball of emotion. So if you start getting yeah. too attached, you're going like, to yeah. start crying and shit. Yeah. And um, so I try not to, but I mean, obviously sometimes I can't help it. Mm -hmm. And it, it does get sad um, because like you, you're with, um, like I'm with these people all the time, like 24 seven, pretty much. And mm -hmm. I develop some type of relationship with them right. and, um, it just sucks when they, when they go, but, um, I just try to like not let it get to me. And uh, obviously they're in a better place. So I believe this is what I believe you're doing God's work. Mm. I think some of the most humbling moments that we can have in our lives is when we are being of service, not just to be of service to people, but be of service to people that are older, that uh, have lived a long life and maybe going soon. Mm -hmm. um, I used to have a friend before he passed away, uh, his sponsees would come, sorry, whoops, he was a spiritual advisor to certain people. Uh, the people that he was uh, mentoring would come to him and, and there was one guy in particular said that he was crying a lot and, and depressed and sad. And um, during that time, this is like way before COVID, um, this guy would tell him, why don't you go grab a, a tray of and go get like roses and put them on the tray and go into like a convalescent home 
and go and hand them out to all of the different people and just tell them that you love them. That's awesome. To get out of self, to yeah. not be so like thinking about yourself and being so depressed. Go there and see how short life is and be of service to those people. And I think um, what you're doing, like you are basically, you're, you, you show so much love. You care. You change your people's diapers, if I'm not mistaken. You're, you're yeah. showering them, right? Um, yeah, basically showering them, changing them. Feeding them. Feeding them, um, making sure that their beds are made, they have clean laundry, basically looking out for them. That's <clears throat> um, super, super like heartwarming mm -hmm. um even like the residents that i care for their children mm -hmm. um are in constant contact with me and like telling me how they're so grateful for me and um just checking in on me when i'm not at work wondering why i'm not there and stuff like that so it's just it just fulfills me at the end of the day i, I love I it love, i love what i do i love it you're comfortable in your skin very much so you're living with sober roommates mm -hmm um you're happy in your sobriety yes what are what's some of your future plans that you want to do with yourself well um i think that <laughs> i haven't had a, my license in a while so i think i want to work on getting that driver's um, license yeah and then eventually getting a car nice and um i don't know i kind of don't plan like to plan things you should you should make a makeup line that would be fun would you like it yeah i will okay which would you be like my i could probably help push you in that direction for sure no i mean like can I? oh like you want to put makeup yeah. on me sure why not where would you start you need to trim up these eyebrows of mine <laughs> you know i've never actually gone somewhere to have my eyebrows trimmed well we can start with that i know i, I think we've had a couple of persian boys that we put in your path that you have been able to trim up i mean it's true, oh yeah right yeah. um it's such a joy to have you on here. Like this is this has been so nice. I love that you took sobriety so seriously at such a young age. You know what I mean? Like uh, when I was 26 years old, that was like the last thing I was thinking of was to get completely sober. But boy, like you, you're really doing this thing. Mm -hmm. you know? I'm glad that I was able to get it now because at the beginning, I didn't really take it seriously. Right. And I didn't think that I could like ever be sober. And, and you're so plugged into this into this recovery community too. Yeah, I have a good fellowship. I have a, a few home groups. I have more than one, mm -hmm. and uh, I have a really good sponsor that I love and mm -hmm. uh, communicate with them with, with like any little thing. Um, right. He's always like down and open to hear and be there for me. Mm -hmm. And um, I just the love that I feel from from him from you, from my fellowship, mm -hmm. um, from my roommates, mm -hmm. friends, it just makes me want to stay. Mm. I, I did want to bring up one last thing real quick that was of great importance and that you, obviously you went through one of the sober livings that we had, mm -hmm. have. Um, <clears throat> and I think this is a really big deal and it should be talked about a lot more. There are people who are transgender that have a hard time getting into sober livings because they get discriminated upon mm -hmm. sometimes depending on uh, if they're in transition if they do not have uh, female parts or male parts um, uh, usually some sober livings will just kind of tell them we're full like to basically say like we don't have room for you because mm -hmm. they don't know what to do with, uh, where to put them right um, I myself as you know uh, opened a co-ed house which was I'd never really believed in co-ed sober livings before because when I hear co-ed, I think everyone's sleeping in each other's beds, right? 
But during that time, I was working with somebody that was a female, you know who I'm talking about, mm -hmm. that was identifying as a male, but still had female parts. So um, I couldn't just put that individual into an all-male house because he had female parts. Yeah. So I did, I ended up getting a female house manager and just having two different sides, females on this side, males on this side. And you were in that house for a while too. So, um, but I remember that in trying to find, we couldn't keep that individual in our house because the person kept acting out. I scoured sober livings from Los Angeles to Orange County to San Diego and everybody I would talk to, everyone I talked to, they would always come up with a thousand excuses of, of what we can't, you know, we can't take that person. We can't because they, this and that, and they identify one person actually even said like, um, due to the, like access on the spectrum or something like that, like there's too many issues that come with those people. And the person that told me this was, you know, I won't say who it was, but, but I, it was kind of alarming to, to get that, um, to be told that, but I want to let it be known that you came to our house and as non-binary and it was never a problem i don't think i ever had a fucking problem with you once there was never a time where there was no episodes no acting out you were actually like one of the most coachable and teachable human beings and individuals that came through our house and look at you now look at you now i mean you've got fucking bluish greenish hair <laughs> you're so sober your eyes are matching your hair <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're just a beautiful human being, a beautiful Thanks. soul, like truly one of my favorite humans. You know, and I, when we, we interact, like it's always a joy to hear from you. Um, I think that I would like to see you help a lot of people, especially, you know, the ones that think that they're different and no one will love them mm -hmm. or no one will accept them. And that's kind of like why I was super excited to be on this podcast, because I wanted to be of service to others that were <clears throat> um, non-binary or in the same spectrum, mm -hmm. um, part of the LGBTQ plus community, mm -hmm. um, that you can get sober. It is possible to get sober and um, you just gotta like find the right people mm -hmm. and stick with them. And uh, those people will love you no matter what. Um, that's what happened for me. Um, if it wasn't for them, I don't think I would be here today and I wouldn't embrace who I really am. A lot of people love you, Jordy. I don't know if you know that or not. Of course I do. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad that you did. You wear the Gaga shirt because I, I mean, did. Okay, because you I just know it. my love and adoration for Gaga. Mm. Yeah. Um, is there anything you want to say before we sign out? Over and out. No, I mean I am just super, super glad that you had me here today. I love you, and, dear. Uh, I hope that this uh, touches people or inspires others, um, helps people whatever the case may be. Um, I'm certain it will. We do. We do recover. We do. We do recover. Well, with that said, uh, I want to thank my friend Jordy for coming to the corner. I love you all very much. And we will be back on Sunday with another special guest on Peggy's Recovery Corner. Much love to all. Bye.